Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. I'm Ian. And on this episode, I will review a little-known game called Ticket to Ride. Ryan? Marco. Polo. That that, that was a (laughs) pitchy. We're going to do the voyages of Marco Polo. (laughs) Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by... Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They are the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award, presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. We are going to uh, go into our segment of playing, thinking, doing board games. And um, uh, you know what? I'll start it up. And then, and then we'll proceed to the thinky end mm-hmm. of it. Um, uh, mm-hmm. uh, we got in uh, a game from uh, uh, a suggestion by a lot of people, and also from uh, the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. I've talked a lot about this, and it's Zombie Kids Evolution. And uh, it is desi- uh, designed by, let me, get this, let me get the details up here, um, it's a game designed by Anik Lobey, I think, and published by Scorpio Masque in Montreal, Canada. Um, and this is... Uh, We're contributors on our Wednesday podcasts. Yeah. Woohoo. How's it going, eh? Um, so <laughs> <laughs> what, I, uh, what I appreciate about this, and I mean, uh, um, it's ranked number one in the children's game list. So I got this for Daniel and I. And... Um, uh, I think I think we got a hit on our hands here because uh, it's basically a legacy game. It's 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 uh, what's the best way to describe it? Kind of, I mean, I would like to say you know tower defense, but you're protecting the school. Zombies are coming in at the corners. You to win the game, you have to lock the gates at each corner, and uh, the, and and some of the details in the game of you know how you lose the game is uh, when you when you go to populate the board of zombies. There's no zombies to populate, and uh, that's that's basically the big one right there. Um, and uh, we both play characters, and like I said, it's a legacy game, so uh, there's stickers involved. And I just discovered that Daniel is a envelope driven motivated gamer because. He once he once he understood and just for the context of everything, uh, my son Daniel uh, is 15 and he has Down syndrome. So there's a lot of stuff that we like to play together just for that whole learning and processing part. And uh, man, as he processed this one like a master, um, it's a simple rule set. I mean, you roll the dice 
you bring a zombie in in the color that's designated and then you move and you have the ability when you start you have the ability to eliminate one or two zombies in your room and you that's how you move and progress through this map and it's a, like i said it's a map of zones you got one zone in the middle and then you have four classrooms around the uh around the the perimeter of that center one and then uh on the outside of each of those walls is the the playground area and then that's where the zombies come in at the corners and that's how you lock it up and if you get the four locks you win the game um as we progressed we'd unlock envelopes and new pl uh, player power characters would come out and they would just scaffold the learning uh for the kids in this game and and i think it does a well and of course all three of us are teachers and we're always going to, you know, I, I'm at least going to always look at something in regards to um, the learning potential. And they they designed this so well for kids of, it says seven plus, right, to scaffold their learning on how you can add elements to a core system to increase the game's potential. So I'm really happy with this. We're, we're having, we, I think we've got like 20 games into it. And uh, it says that it's five to 15 minutes. So yeah, I'd, I'd sooner knock out seven games of this than, than seven games of, uh, of Candyland. <laughs> <laughs> this looks very interesting. Now, my, my copy just arrived today. Yay! I, I, picked, it picked, up in, I, I picked it up on, uh, we did a board game Bliss um, order they had us like a super sale so me and some other guys in saskatoon here got in on this order and to round it out to the free shipping <laughs> i need something really really cheap and this yeah, one like ended up being, it's like, it was like it was like 20 dollars or something like that yeah and yeah, yeah it looks really fantastic i'm hoping to play this with regan because i'm really um sick and tired of playing this pj mask game <laughs> that he has and so if i kind of well, like have have a little bit more of a gamer's game for a child for for a child i would probably like that and that's the thing that i didn't point out that it was, thank you for mentioning um for being a board gamer this game kept me interested because every move was there was a tactical there was a legitimate tactical decision to be made right so um yeah it kept me engaged absolutely absolutely so cool yeah, I yeah encourage I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to it yeah because you you sent us the screenshot there i counted i think if you want to play everything it's like there's like 55 yeah game sessions that you that you'll end up playing for the, but like you said the campaign yeah lot. that but you like you said they're like what you said they're like five to 15 minutes long yeah each, yeah and so. win or lose you put a sticker on and you progress right so it's i think as far as this game teaching teaching the the young gamers in the hobby, um, how to how to play this cooperative, this you know work a system. Yes, I yeah. think it does a great job on working a system and adding uh, um, new potential to characters and, and villains. And yeah, yeah, yeah. This one, yeah, like you said, this one's been recommended a lot. I've heard a lot of people um, talking L about it. Lane plays this with his kids. I think. He does. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Cool. So that's a Zombie Kids Evolution from Scorpio Masque and designed by Anique Lobe. Okay, so, so we can go from one uh, we can go from one com uh, campaign like game to a, another um, campaign like game uh, as a game that I've I've managed I've, I've mentioned on the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast is uh, is Cloud yeah. Age and we and we finally we finally finished um, we we finished the story 
of it. So um, Cloud Age is designed by Alexander Pfister and Arno Steinwinder, and it's been published by in North America by Capstone Games. And this is kind of like Alexander Pfister's next kind of like big box game that he released this year. And it has been advertised mainly as that it has this story mode to it, much like um, it's very similar to the Maracaibo um, story mode, which is a fantastic way to play Maracaibo. But it's not the only way to play Maracaibo either. Maracaibo had like standalone scenarios that you could just play as one-offs. Um, and, and, and Cloud Age did a really good job with this. Now, Cloud Age was a much um, lighter version of, say, like things that he has done in the that he's done in the past. The the gameplay is very straightforward. It's a, it's a very linear progression of what you do on a turn. Like it's, hey, get some resources. Okay, now move your airship. <laughs> okay, now do these um, extra actions to get more resources. Wash, rinse, and repeat for however many rounds the particular chapter uh, is going to be. And so the gameplay is very straightforward. The strategies that we've seen are pretty straightforward in it. Like there, there's not a lot of variety in the different types of strategies that you can uh, go about because it is a competitive campaign style. Like you are going to score points at the end of every game. And um, based on the, how many points you've scored, there's like a little achievement sheet at the very end that says how many stars you earned because of how many points you've scored. Yeah. And um, so, and such. So, uh, we, so we finally finished it and we do, in, we did enjoy, or at least I enjoyed the level of choices that it allowed you to have throughout the game. Like the stuff that you actually end up putting on the board, like it's not stickers, but they have these things called legacy tiles. Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of gives you some new action spaces on the board or it adds new cards to the deck or it just gives you some new actions that you could take on your turns. They were really kind of cool, they, and they fit thematically with the story, even though the story, in my opinion, was, in the end here, it ended up being pretty weak. Um, it, like, you're not, you're not going to play this for, like, the, the story story, but <laughs> playing it through as a story mode, yeah. like, just as that progression of, of different actions that you can unlock and different things you can unlock is actually pretty cool. Um, but at the end of it, at the end of the day here, I don't think that we're going to return... Um, to this to this game, just like say you know, hey, do you want to play Cloud Age Chapter Three again, or do you want to play Cloud Age? Like we're not we're not really invested in just kind of just returning back to and just playing a single scenario. Okay. Um, we we did realize that there are those standalone scenarios in Cloud Age, just like Maracaibo, but we found that I I, I don't know for what what is about this game. It was just too simple. Mm-hmm. Or it was, or there's just that the choices. I think for us it was the choices are too linear, as in like, hey, um, there's only really these things, and whatever cards I drew, okay, I guess I guess that's the thing that I have to do because that's the most efficient way that I'm going to be able to score points this particular game. You mean they were perceived choices? <laughs> it makes it look like and like it's a, it's a big deck of cards. Yeah, but all of the cards, there's not much variety in the different types of things that those cards provide you. Like it's a big old deck of cards, but like really, there's a lot of them that provide you extra movement, provide you extra combat, provide yeah. you hey score points if you do this. There wasn't a very a lot of variety in the different types of. Now the costs might differ a little bit, but hey, but it was it was fun for a while it lasted. Like we got a good we got a good seven games out of it. Mm-hmm. 
And um, though though I, I, I argue that the first two games are kind of like learning games, like we're like, oh, that's all really like the very first chapter is like, wow, that's really all we have to do. Like I watched some how to play videos and they were explaining a lot more things. And I said, well, with this first chapter is actually pretty basic. Actually, I saw that they're coming out with a second edition of Cloud Age and Alexander Pfister says, yeah, they're going to extend the campaign by a couple chapters and they're going to totally eliminate that first, that very, very first chapter. Like type of type of scenario that learned that learning scenario. They're going to eliminate that one and maybe extend it a little bit more on, on, on the back end in this um, upcoming second edition, probably at the end towards the end of this year type thing. Which kind of cool. bugs me too when 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 they decide to do the second edition so close to when the first one was just released, with these little tweaks. But oh, it's got a lot of hype, that's for sure. So. So yeah, that's uh that's Cloud Age. We finished it. We enjoyed it for what it was, but I think this one might go into the. This one might go into the for sale trade pile. <laughs> well, I mean, like I'd, you said, you you did the story, right? We got the story. This. This, there's not very much branching in the storyline. Like there's the different things like, oh, did did the players do this? No? Oh, okay, read this card now instead of this card. But it, there's really not, I wouldn't say there's, I would say there's not much variety in the branching story pathways. They all gonna <laughs> end, they're all going to end up at the very same moment. Yeah. They, they all culminate at the very end of the chapter at the same place. Cool. All right. So, yeah, Cloud Age. I recommend if, if you if you enjoy these things. I know people say they, they enjoyed this because it is lighter. Mm-hmm. He is known for his heavier um, euros. Yeah, and <laughs> totally. But this but this one this one maybe is a little bit more access, accessible. Yeah, yeah. I see. I love legacy games, but at the same time, I want my legacy game to be a legacy game, and I don't really like when it's like trying to be a half legacy campaign thing. Which is fine, like, campus campaigns are fine as long as the game exists in and of itself, right? Like, yeah. where, where the campaign's not necessary. Like, for Mar- Maracaibo, for example, we didn't play the Legacy, Norm and I, but we had a blast with that game. Yeah. I think that game stands up on its own, but it's kind yeah. of sounding like this one needs the campaign, and then otherwise yeah, it's not really To keep you engaged, there. and, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, the, if you were just going to play this, like, one-shot scenario like like they, they do have i i don't know if i would have any fun with it i don't, I don't i'm pretty i'm pretty sure i wouldn't have very much fun with it in that in that regard are you satisfied that you tried it yeah like, and like i said the the, yeah. the and the price point out of it is pretty it's pretty good well yeah and you got okay, how many games out of it we got well we got we did the set we did i did like a learning game yeah and then we'd also got the then we did the seven chapters well there you go so we got the seven like, games so, so we got like eight games and it's like a 45 dollar game well there you go I mean, so I, cheaper I think we than got a movie. Value. I think we got value. We got value out of it. Yeah. Well, we there you go. Cool. So, Ian, is this is this is this a, a, a as Ryan and I were talking? Ryan, is this a conundrum moment that Ian's presenting to us? I think I think this might be a cardboard Board conundrum. conundrum. <laughs> Hit us with the conundrum, Ian. <laughs> Oh yeah, we, we just came, we we just, we just came up with that on the spot, yeah. and I believe it went beautifully. <laughs> All right, so I uh, I'm doing the thinking part of this section. So I was looking at an article the other day that was kind of floating around the 
the interwebs. And uh, it's from Z-Man Games. It was from their blog. Uh, from their head of studio, whose name is Steve Kimball. And he was writing a thing on Euro games and how how hard it is for Euro games to kind of stay in the picture. And he was framing it in the idea that he is kind of like running the Fantasy Flight Euro line, Euro Classics line. Yeah. Because I guess they're all under this, the Asmodee thing, right? Like they're all kind of one big conglomerate now. Mm-hmm. And they're plan- they were planning on doing a Princes of Florence reprint. But that ended up falling through. They had gotten, they'd even gotten all the artwork out there and then they just decided that it's not going to happen and they canceled they canceled the reprint altogether. And Princes of Florence was a pretty popular game back in the day. I think it came out around 2000, 2001. And it was like high up on, on the BGG rankings for a long time. And, and it's definitely got a history behind it. And I think he was kind of waxing poetic about it a little bit and and um you know there was a there was nostalgia built into the story right. absolutely yeah but yeah. he was lamenting the fact that a, a game like that had to end up being canceled in in this particular case yeah and was wondering like where is the industry right now or something like that happens where these classic games can't get their foot in the door in the in the modern board gaming Milieu. So, did you guys read that article that I? That yeah, I posted totally. Up? Did you take totally. a look at it? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think. I, 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 yeah, I skimmed through it too. Yeah, I'm. I'm always when I'm when I'm looking at a wide scope picture on on the board game hobby and industry, I'm always going to parallel it to what I'm familiar with, and that's the music industry. And yeah, I when did I was, it with the movie industry. Yeah, and when I and and I've you've always you always notice that. When something's again, I mean, it's all about revenue, right? I mean, I mean, the people who pull, the people who make the machine work, are the people who want money to, you know, want the machine to work because it makes the money, right? The big day, right? Mm-hmm. So, when a formula gets figured out on how, okay, we this is hot now, let's let's you know push that thumb hard on that button for a while until it stops, you know, being the thing. And then let's go see what the next thing is. And then let's go, you know, buy it all up and push that thumb on the button. And so I think that's what, I mean, and Kickstarter has a lot to do with it too, I think, because of that whole idea about, you know, what can I get the big bang for the buck and I need minis and I need this. And to me, I'm, I'm always looking for when it comes to Kickstarter, it's like, I don't, I want the undeluxified, give me the, give me the cardboard chit version of your game because like any any good piece of, of creativity, it comes down to the content, right? So if the game is good, it can stand up on on its own with cardboard elements, right? For me, at least. Everything outside of that is just chrome and paint. But I think so, that part of the, what he's getting at here is that he's questioning whether a game can stand up on its own anymore without that stuff. Well, yeah, there's a lot of white noise with this hype and, the, and when, with the minis and, yeah. Right. Well, and he I, does mention uh, one thing that kind of pointed out to me, the idea of, um, you know, they want to make money, which is absolutely fair, but it's at the cost of not enough risk, right? Going for the most risk-free 
yeah. options that they have. And he fo- he's focused on like he said that there's four uh, the four main lines that Z-Man wants to worry about right now, which is like Carcassonne and Pandemic. Mm-hmm. They're, and they're, like, they're evergreen titles, yeah. Exactly. And those are the ones that they're going to focus on and they're going to do reprints of those. And, and they're, they're going to be push focusing hard, on different versions of hard those. on that button. Yeah, yeah. Right. But it's at a cost, right? It's at a cost of these other these other games that could be great or are great and just aren't getting, mm-hmm. a, getting a chance to to get to market again. And, it, and yeah. it's also it's also sad at the same time because this was they were they were advertising this line as the Euro classics, yeah, like bringing these back to the forefront of people's minds. Like these were these were things that kind of defined our hobby, and there's many people that probably never ever got to experience where where these things like like Ian, you're you're a big um you're a big pay homage to what came before but what came before now and that's where lots of these that's where a lot of these titles were coming from like um i'm taking a look at here i own i own i own four of these five euro classic title these euro classic editions like i own tigers and euphrates samurai through the uh, through the desert and i just re- i just um acquired uh raw and so um, yeah and i have I, I, princes of florence here in my collection and it's like Auction, yeah, yeah. Princess so. of Florence is a. I love that game. Um, I, I don't have it because my uh, friend of mine has it already. But I have one, so you're good. You you're covered. Um, yeah, I, but it's in, but it's I, interesting that they're not that they say that these game, but these these are games that have stood up the test of time. Mm-hmm. Like Tigers and Euphrates, like you you bring that title that that you bring that name forward. And a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, that's like one of the greatest tile laying games um, to, to, to ever exist. Or, yeah, you talk about Raw and people are like, oh, yeah, that's like one of the greatest like auction games to mm-hmm. ever to ever to ever come to come about. So like, these, these ones are they, they were popular titles that they did. And I think they were successful. So it's really interesting that he's come up with this point. He's saying, oh, I don't I don't really know if these games can. You, can you, keep can can keep uh, keep up with the with the newer models. And what he's really saying, I think, is that it, he, there's no place for them in the big companies. I, it yeah. seems like he's still holding out hope for indie publishers to pick yeah. them up. Yeah. And he he mentions yeah. uh, Roxy Games with the yeah. with the brass reprint, right? Yeah. And Here's the thing. Here, it comes down to supply and demand, right? If 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 the hobbyists or if the community is you know. Dem- asking for it, demanding for it, then yeah, like like what 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 Rockley Roxley did with brass, right? So I think I think it's there's there's an there's an obvious opportunity somewhere in this, right? Yeah, because well, he's, he's, these he's, games he's, he's just returned, don't go to pasture. Yeah, no, he's returned the rights back to the original mm-hmm. to, to the which to is the impressive. Design. To yeah. the designers, that's, that's so like, an impressive move. I was and I was wanting glad to someone see that. to pick him up. Yeah, right. yeah. 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 So I think it's supply and demand. If it's, if there's money to be made, someone's gonna you know come up with the idea. Asmodee so. just wants money. Well, and you know, <laughs> make it rain, Asmodee. Yeah. Make it rain. <laughs> and, and they wouldn't behave like that if there wasn't if there weren't consumers that were you know consuming what they're what they're producing. So doesn't like it's, Asmodee it's a, like own like. Now, like eighty percent of the board game, I'm, I'm just making it's, that number up. But they, 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 they seem to control a large a monopoly. They have an influence, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And we're cool. starting to yeah. see that influence. <laughs> and I like how they took a little shot at uh, Shut Up and Sit Down, too. How they can so move if you, the interest if you, if you of you read the, the article, yeah, you'll yeah. find it. Some Brits, yeah. Cool. Well, that's that's some that that's Ryan. Was that a good conundrum? I think that was a good conundrum. That's a good conundrum. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. And we're back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. And and we're going into... Ryan, what are we going into? The Reviews! <laughs> um, I'm going to start this off with... Choo-choo! <laughs> with a game I don't think too many people have heard. No... Uh, this this game is this game has been talked about a lot, but this surprised me when I read about. I don't it, when, I, when I saw it in the show notes. Well, and I, I mean, it, it 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 needs to be talked about because it's one of these games. Talking back to what we were talking with uh, with Ian's conundrum, um, it's one of these Euro games that is just solid and it has the right to be on the shelf and. It makes money. Um, and it, well, and it's an evergreen <laughs> title for, for Days of Wonder. So let's get into, and I'm talking about Ticket to Ride, of course. So let's get into the game details. Uh, Ticket to Ride, designed by Alan R. Moon, published by Days of Wonder in the year 2004. So this is... Wow. This a, this a, this a grandparent of a game. Um, Do-do-do. Uh, so overview... Nuts and bolts, uh, as I love to do all the time. I'm gonna I'm gonna go right to uh, uh, contributed by the, the the publishers with elegantly simple gameplay. Ticket to Ride can be learned in under 15 minutes, and they're right. Players collect cards of various types of train cars. Uh, they then use to claim railway routes in North America. The longer the routes, the more points they earn. Additional points come to those who fulfill destination tickets. Goal cards that connect distant cities and the player who builds the longest route, uh, longest continuous route. The rules are simple enough to write on a train ticket, and that is what I'm going to talk about when it's the uniqueness of this game. Uh, each turn, you either draw more cards, claim a route, or get additional destination tickets. Uh, the tension comes from being forced to balance greed, adding more cards to your hand, and fear, losing a critical route to a competitor. Um, so, as we mentioned, Ticket to Ride is, is one of Days of Wonder's evergreen titles. And, uh, I, I mean, the simplicity of this review is demonstrates the simplicity of this game system. Right. You In, said if it takes... 15 minutes if you're taking 15 minutes to teach this game you're doing something wrong <laughs> yeah. that's way too refer, long yeah. refer back to our teaching uh, <laughs> games episode the um and the reason why this this popped up for me for an idea for review is because uh four weeks four sundays in a row um my wife is not a big gamer her hobby is reading books and my daughter is a a tween age so um, sitting down, hanging out with the parents, playing board games is kind of, you know, you know, lame. 
that was very <laughs> 90s valley girl <laughs> um so the fact that four sundays in a row this is becoming a, a or you know family board game habit uh and we play ticket to ride each time and the reason why is because they're so comfortable with their understanding of the rule set being not being hobbyist gamers right and and what my what mel said my wife said is uh what she enjoys the most about this game is it's easy to learn, and she just wants to get better and better and better and better at it. Um, which is, for me, I'm kind of like the opposite. I just want new experience, new experience, and maybe I'll spend, you know, uh, uh, repetitive plays on a game. But this one, I, I've, I've got to have at least 30-plus plays more so, right? Um, so... Uh, what I think is the most unique thing about this game, usually in our thing, we, we talk about unique mechanisms. This is 2004, right? So back then, I think they were carving games with wood, uh, out of wood, you know. <laughs> um, uh, so I can't really say what's, what would have been unique in 2004 about this game. Um, uh, maybe the, maybe the idea of of route building or or co- combining uh, um, uh, card collecting like set collecting and another mechanic. I'm not too sure. It's for today's standards. It's it's a pretty light game, um, but I think the unique thing about this is that what you jokingly said at the beginning, Ian. If it takes you 15 minutes to teach this game, you're doing it wrong. Right? It's hmm. this. A, this is like a sit down. Here you go. On your turn, you do this. You do this, or you do this. Uh, everybody goes around, and we go until there's three things left. Here's your objective. She'll demonstrate a ticket. Tell them how the blah blah. blah. And you're you're going. You're. I mean, that's for 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 my wife who does. It's like no. Let's just play, and you can tell me how the game goes. This is a perfect game. So that's what I think is the unique, most interesting thing about this game is. You're into this game before you even get comfortable scooching in your chair, kind of thing. Um, opinions, the box art, graph, the box art. It's classic. It is so cute. It, I mean, the art style, that the the sepia te- toned, you know, background is demonstrative of that era. I believe the the individuals on it. It's a train, so I'm not. I don't think you're missing the point on this one. Ticket to Ride, it's all about trains, okay? Um, Going inside, um, the components, I've never had any complaints about the train pieces or the cards. I do have a preference, though. I like playing with the European bigger train cards than the uh, standard box edition, what do they call them, the American size or the smaller size cards? Those are are referred to as Euro. The Euro cards, Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I much prefer the player card than the euro card because you know I've got sausage fingers. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's about. I mean, there's there's nothing crazy about this game, uh, and some wood markers. That's it. Uh, the board, great art, very happy. You know, everything is nice and clear. You're, there's no leaning in to try and see what what is you know what what. Um, I have had the board fall apart on me though. Have you? Not I mean, once, it's... but twice. Twice <laughs> the board fell apart. Like like torn apart or Yeah, like all like the four corners of the board ripped apart. It was in four pieces. Ah, you must have had one manufactured on a Wednesday. 
I think it. I think it just is a testament to how often we play it. Well, I was gonna say too. It's like I want to know how many plays because that's that's if you're starting to tear pa- paper, there's a lot of <laughs> folding and unfolding going on. Yep. So, but you know what? Maybe that's a testament to the game. We it played so. it till the wheels fell off. Well, and I take it to school too. So kids at school are, are oh, a little rough, kid, right? I think I think we could put an asterisk on that. Yeah, oh, I let I my so. I let my class play it. Oh, okay, well, it was new this morning, and now it's destroyed <laughs> by noon. Yep. <laughs> um, does this game all connect? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it is the most genuine entry level game that you can present to new gamers, and and. And also keeping the experienced gamers um, dialed into the game. Uh, I, I've I've not I've never had a game of Ticket to Ride that I've played where I where I thought to myself I wanted to be playing a different game. Uh-uh. I'm always dialed in when I'm playing this game. Yeah, there's always there's always interesting choices. There's always it's organic. Every that's what I'm looking for. Every game, as far as the route building goes, has been strategically organic. If you're, um, what was, what was the, uh, oh, Ryan, you remember this one. Longtime friends of, of, uh, podcasting Joe Salen from Good, the Bored and yeah. Ugly. What was yeah. his story about Ticket to Ride at a, at a con? What well, was it? Was no, I'm, I was, or a I'm, tournament or something. Okay. Then that was it. Cause I, I had a story about Ticket to Ride and I'm pretty sure it was derivative of that story about the tournament. Um, because I was going to make a mention putting too, a train I, down right away, and it's with the guy who's I forget what the a little desperate, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, the, that that move reeked of desperation. That's, that was it. Just putting on down one of those single trains, like in the yeah. middle of the board, where that where's that there's that one route, Vancouver from, to Seattle. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and that's the thing. I mean, it depends who you're playing. If you're playing right away, if you're playing with experienced players. You're gonna just hold off, and and it's that whole push. I think it gets to that push your luck. Now, it's like how long do I wait until I start dropping dropping sets, right? So I, I was talking uh, a while ago, like wait before COVID times, um, to a board gaming community friend, and he he had he had a pleasure of witnessing the um, ticket to ride, like like the board gaming world championships. Oh, cool! Like he managed to managed to be able to be a spectator in that. And he's just like, wow, did they manage to suck the fun out of, out of, out of this game? Because everybody played with the exact same strategy. What everybody did was everybody just drew cards until like the whole no deck one played, was gone. No, 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 no one played a train until the whole deck was gone. And then all of a sudden it was just boom, 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 all over the board. And then the game was done. <laughs> he's, he's like he's like I don't know what I just saw. <laughs> Everybody just hoarded the cards, so it was almost like because we we we've done we've done house rules yeah. on this one that there that there there is like a kind of like a a a, a, a point like a hand size, like you you, you got to start playing trains at around like you know if you can't have more than like ten or twelve cards in your hand or something like or something, <laughs> something ridiculous about that, but. <laughs> yeah, that I, I'm, I'm going to try that strategy. That's a good one. It'll make my it'll make Mel and Sophie kind of look at me and go, "What are you up to?" Well, so I, well, I I know, but I noticed that that's what that's what Jen likes to do lots of the times. Is she, sit back. She, and, she, she she amasses amount a, a crazy amount of cards, and all of a sudden she's like, 
And I'm just like, oh, as I collect and I put down, I collect and I put down. And all of a sudden, she's just like, it's just turn after turn after turn. Oh, yeah. And she's just, and she's just building routes. I'm just yeah. like, oh my, oh, my, oh, my gosh. What's going on right now? Then this is like a therapy session, friend. And that's that's the, that's the first time she started beating me at every game. And it just carried on from that. Um, for me, for conclusions, I mean, obviously, if you can you can tell that I'm a big fan of this game. Any game that allows me the opportunity to play with my entire family is going to get thumbs up all the way. And if it's a game that holds my interest and challenges me, uh, you know, strategic and tactical moment to moment, yes. Um, if you don't have this in your collection, um, then maybe you've tried you're, it and it's not for you, but this, yeah. You're probably not a board gamer. Yeah. Well, I don't want to <laughs> yeah. say that. I mean, cause it's subjective, right? I mean, but this is to me, this is by far the best way to introduce anybody that you, if you're, if you're in a bubble and you don't have gaming partners, play Ticket to Ride. And I bet you any money, you will start to, you will start to. Uh, foster a new hobby in your community, in your bubble. This is your the COVID gateway bubble. game. Yeah, like the yeah. ultimate gateway game. Yeah, yeah. my yeah. It's uh, to me, it's it's the best entry level uh, system into this hobby that I that I can imagine. So it's on my top shelf just for that, right? And proudly, not not I'm not hiding it behind a box on my top shelf. It's proudly. Sitting on my top shelf. Right there beside, beside Battleship. Beside Kemet. <laughs> beside Hansa Teutonica. So, yeah. To me, yeah. Thumbs up all the way. Get this game. And and Ian, you're, I know you're a big fan. The expansions uh, for this game. We played France. We have Amsterdam. Uh, we have the Markland. This is where that cash cow for Asmodee is right now. Yeah. Is just pumping out... A new version of Ticket to Ride. New map with oh, a little yeah. twist to the rules. Yeah. yeah. But there's always yeah. a little twist to the rules. And I sometimes I, I like that. Right? Uh longtime listener of the show, Lane, he created his own Saskatchewan map. So you'll All have to right. get you'll have to get him to post some pictures of it in the Discord. I'm trying was to it, think and if, wasn't it inspired by there's a map at the Western Development Museum that he said he saw it. He says that looks like a ticket to ride map. He just went all beautiful mind at the map and just kind of saw the lines yeah. tracing all around. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out some jokes, but I, I can't. So, no. you know. But this is, like you say, Norm, this is one of those games where you're always talking about that cognitive load. Yeah. Like, how much does it take to boot up the memory yeah. to, to, to play this game? Like, once you've played it, like, you now know how to play this. This is riding a bike. And the you rules can, are on a, like a like a eight eight what is it eleven by seventeen sheet that you fold right? It's just it's like one page rules, beautiful, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've played some of the two player or sorry that's not the two player but like the smaller yeah the New York like and the, London like, like the smaller ones yeah and like they and do, do those capture the feel of yeah, Ticket to Ride absolutely yeah. and it cuts down the time too. I mean. I, I think it's I think it's fractionally representative of of the size of the game and the time it takes too. So yeah, did you like that fractionally representative? I always get a good math reference. Nice, thank you, thank you. I'm here all week. <laughs> try the veal. Yeah. Oh no, don't try the veal. No, no, don't, don't, don't try the veal. Vegan, vegan, farm to table, all the way. <laughs> this episode is proudly supported by the amazing team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge, right here in Saskatoon. 
Using industry-leading technology, breakout escapes, escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team, ensuring their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. All right, so speaking of, uh, of uh, Farm to Table, um, you guys have a, a pool game that you want to talk about? Marco. <laughs> Someone's yeah. got to answer. Polo. There we go. Couldn't leave it hanging. Every listener out there said, somebody please say it. Somebody please say it. <laughs> yeah. That's like, dun, 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 and just leave it. Yeah. Okay. Dun, dun. Well, we're going to talk about <laughs> the voyages of Marco Polo. So, oh, right. shoot. I don't even have the, is it, two, Ryan, is it two to four or two to five? It's four it's players, a right? Two, it, it, it's a two to four player, yeah. two to five if you have the expansion. Right. Okay. So it's a two to four player game. Takes about, what would you say, an hour to 90 minutes? Hour. I yeah. would say an hour. Yeah, I would. Yeah, once you're more comfortable with the game system, it's an hour, yeah. ninety minutes. If you're, yep. Yeah, so it's from Danielle Tassini and Simone Luciani. Uh, oh, I it's love a Simone Z-Man Luciani game. games. Right? Love Simone Luciani games. Z-Man. Yeah, uh, yeah, Z-Man, now known as uh, Asmodee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in Marco Polo, you are a traveler merchant. The traveling merchant, and in the times of Marco Polo, uh, your goal is to establish settlements in cities and to complete contracts. That's kind of the overall um, idea of the game. The turn consists of rolling five dice and then using them to claim your actions. So the higher rolls usually get better results because you can do whatever the action of your lowest dice that you take to that spot is. And so on your turns, what you can do with the dice, you can collect the goods that you're going to need for your contracts. Uh, You can get money because you always need money. Uh, You can actually purchase contracts, go and get some contracts. And of course, you can travel, go to other cities and put uh, put down your settlements. And then you also get bonus actions if you're in cities and other little bonuses as well when you reach those cities. You also have, oh, just like Norm mentioned, Tick to Ride, here's your connection. So there are, you get two cards at the beginning of the game, which are two destinations that you want to connect. So as long as you build into both those connections, you get however many points it says on the card. And so your traveling goal is to do that, which is actually pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the game in a nutshell, I would say. Ryan, do you... You're, you're, you're missing you're missing one of the really cool oh, no. parts okay which is the special character yeah. that you are on your on your um at the beginning special. of the game you, the oh, crazily overpowered characters <laughs> well they, they yeah so it's it's crazy i i've got a list i found a picture of them here on bgg so i'm kind of looking at them and each character does something pretty unique in the game and one person could look at one person's character and say, wow, that is really good. Like that, that part, like we, Ian and I played a game just the other, just the other week. And I had the character where I could set my dice values to whatever I wanted. 
right. which seems pretty ridiculous. I didn't win this game, <laughs> but it, it, it was pretty nice that I didn't have to depend on the, the rolls of my dice to, in order to select my actions, whereas Ian's character, every single round, he got an extra dice, and he also gets a contract. So he didn't have to actually take the, the contract action um, as many times throughout throughout the game, which is also really good. He doesn't and have to spend an extra an dice, though. That's like and an extra dice. Yeah, right that's overpowered, man. Ian, that's overpowered. No wonder you won the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they're all overpowered. That's the beauty of it. There's a, there's another one where there's you're actually two travelers and you get two people going out on the board. Um, yeah, that's that's Nicolo and Marco Polo. Right. Yeah, there's yeah those uh, characters are pretty cool. They're a uh, they're a neat addition to the game because they're not just like you get to do this extra little thing or this extra little thing is like, yeah, they're pretty no, it's, big. It, no, it, it, it's it's gra- it's groundbreaking and you need to play the game to the strength of your of your character. And that, right. that, that, that's the fun puzzle. But I'll let Ian continue. Okay. So a few things I noticed about this game. Traveling is really expensive because it costs a lot of money. And a lot of camels as well, depending on the routes you want to go to. So if you're passing over big desert regions or empty regions, you need to spend camels to do that. If you're crossing water, you need to spend a whole bunch of money to do it. And you just need to spend money in general to travel. And so traveling can be tough. Um, You... But you kind of, if you want to go for those traveling goals at all, you kind of need to travel every time. And so you really got to manage your money and and your camels well so that you can go into the cities. But throughout the game, there's also like little bonuses which could get you to move as well, right? So like certain contracts, if you complete a contract, oh, you get to move your guy one space too. And so if you can take advantage of those, that helps as well. Because there's only really five rounds. And so that means you only get to go to the traveling spot five times. And then all the rest is based on the bonuses that you're going to take. Right. But there, you- there is there is the opportunity to travel more. Like So the rule is once you have placed your dice down on an action spot, um, you cannot place your colored dice in that action spot again. But there is the opportunities of buying these uh, black dice or acquiring these black dice through bonus actions. And so if I've acquired some black dice, let's just say that the travel spot costs two dice. I've got two of my color, but I've also got two black dice. Now I can place those two black dice down. Seriously? And travel, and travel again in the, in the game. That's a yeah. thing? Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, 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 the only restriction is that you can't have the same colored dice um, uh, take take the action again. So like with the uh, with the uh, Matteo Polo, the character you were with the white dice. If you went one spot with your red dice, you can now go to the exact same spot again with your white dice. Well, how about that? Yeah. Okay. I just taught Ian just learned a new rule to the game. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing I will mention is that dice you can actually re-roll your dice or bump them up a notch by spending camels Uh, that's because a lot of people like to whine and complain about oh dice are so random and so this is to make those people be quiet (laughs) and i think that's written in the rules (laughs) so the box cover let's talk about the the inside out so the box cover i would say 
isn't outstanding, but it evokes the theme. Um, it's got wooden bits, right? So little people uh, for moving through your cities. You got Settlers Catan types houses. That's really it for the bits, other than the dice. Yeah, because you, you you didn't mention with so with the box cover art, um, it looks like it should be a Clemens Franz artwork. I'm looking but at actu- that, but it's actually Dennis Lohausen. There you go. Of Terra Mystica fame. That's right. Uh, the player boards are kind of cool because it's like designed like a like a traveler's chest or something like a desk desk stop, mm-hmm. and you got pull out drawers, and that's where you put your contracts. And yeah, they kind of went all out on the little individual player boards more so than <laughs> anything else. Uh, the map is fine. Like it's the routes are tough to navigate. Like they they really planned out the routes of going to the cities and making making it difficult to get places, which is good. I yeah. mean, it's it and, and it's challenge. deceiving. It's deceiving when you look at them too, because some routes look like oh that that route is like super long. Like I don't know why anybody, but it's actually no longer yeah. than say like, <laughs> like 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 the top route looks like it's a pretty short route, but actually the top route is actually the short is actually the longest <laughs> route out of them all. But that middle route has lots of camel costs. Yeah, like you have to pay because like, that's the one that's going through the deserts and the mountains and. That's right, and and if the one other thing is that if you can get to Beijing and. Which is, you know, historically, it's like going from uh, Venice to Beijing. So historically, that makes sense for Marco Polo. But if you get to Beijing, you get end of the game points um, to get there. So that's kind of like an overall travel goal that everybody can go for. Yeah, the first person to get there gets 10 points and then it just kind of cascades downwards. Right. And then you also get that. Yeah, you get that benefit of every two leftover resources gets you a point. At the end of the game. But if you don't get to Beijing, you don't get that yeah. that bonus. Which there's a character, you can be, um, is, it, is it Genghis Khan? And he starts in Beijing. Right. Yeah. He starts, so, he, so he starts with 10 points. And he starts with that ability to gain extra points at the end of the game. And he's, he's some, already, of the, some of the cities that are around there, like there's that one city, I don't remember what it is, but it has three bonus actions that you can take mm-hmm. if you're building that city. So if you're starting Beijing, you can go straight there. And then you've got three extra actions that you can take. Man, that character sounds overpowered. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I will say about components is that they've got two levels of the wooden resources. And so like the smaller... So you've got like, uh, what are the, there's like silk, I don't remember what the resources silk, are now. Silk, spice, and gold. Right. And so, but they've got two different levels. Like the little ones are for one of the resource. And then they've got just slightly bigger versions of all of them that are three. That drives me nuts. <laughs> just that, just give me a whole because, bunch more. Yeah, just mainly because there isn't a significant size difference. There is not. No, there, in, in, in them. It's very they, hard they to did, tell. They did fix that um, in Marco Polo 2. We're not talking about that game, but they did fix that, that they are significantly (laughs) larger. Yeah, because that is, that's annoying. I would say this is a really challenging game, but the challenge is what makes it fun. So, especially with like trying to get all your settlements out there, that like that traveling is hard to do. um, But, if you can do it, you get those 
city bonuses, you get those actions, and all those kind of, are kind of things that keep the game fresh too. Because every city is going to be different actions in the different cities because it's basically a, you draw them from a hand of cards and you oh, put a cards yeah. down on the city and each card is different. And so each city will have a different action associated with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the variability in the setup is astronomically through the roof. Um, you're not gonna. It's not. You're never gonna have the same layout in Marco Polo two games in a row ever, just because that is a big stack of those city actions. And plus the other the tiled cities, like the smaller cities, are also randomly distributed around the board. I don't think they um, are actually as well. I think I, um, I think you, you could. You, well, but they actually yes, do have can. specific you, spots. And I, I, as I was playing, I realized why. It's because the ones further away from Venice are better. Mm-hmm. Right? So those are the ones you get every turn. Yeah. Yeah. I've always played where I just randomly have placed. Well, you're a rebel, Randomly right? placed. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but the fun. But the, yeah, you did mention. The fun part about this game is trying to figure out, like, what, what am I going to focus on in this game? Because... In my experience, yeah, traveling is super expensive. So if my character doesn't isn't a travel specific character, I'm probably not yeah. traveling very much, unless if the city's kind of close by to Venice, or there's a particular path um, that has some really good bonuses. Um, then I'll probably try to cl- uh, go go for those ones. But otherwise, the contract strategy in this game is. Qu- it, does provide quite a bit of a benefit because there, there is the thing that if you've completed the most contracts in this game you score seven points uh, but if you tie then both you don't split the points both people get the seven points right yeah in 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 that regard um the traveling to it you do get you can get bonus points if you focus on traveling and you can get out what is it the uh, ninth and tenth yeah, your last eight, two settlements. Or, or yeah, the last two ones. The last one unlocks five points. The, la- the, the, the second last one unlocks five points. The last one unlocks ten points. That's 15 points, but, which in this game can be significant. But like I said, there's only five rounds, and so you really got to plan things out if you want to get to that many cities. Like, it's not <laughs> yeah. easy. I'm, yeah. I'm laughing because um, this. I've played this once with Ryan. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. But I'm I'm looking at a game that as you guys are describing this, I'm like, yeah, this is just the same feel I get when I play Newton. And all of a sudden I, I dial in, I'm like, wait. That's well, the same designer. It's Luciano, right? So it's like he's got he's got this DNA in his games where where you have to process the board and come up with a plan and and be tactical. Absolutely. With with every choice. I I I'm so impressed with with the uh, with his game designs. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, 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 he does a very good job of keeping things simple. Like the gameplay itself is pretty straightforward, but he does a wonderful job of incorporating depth mm-hmm. into the, into the, into the gameplay. Um, that puzzle, like we always, I, I would say a good Luciani game is a very good puzzle. Um, the theme isn't, like, like in this one, this is probably one of the ones that where the theme does come out a, a little bit better than some of his other games. But uh, yeah, the puzzle of this trying to figure out what is am I going to focus on? How am I going to do that? Um, I got to really manage my resources. It's all about the combos 
too, like fulfilling a contract that provides you with the stuff to do for the next thing mm-hmm. that I want to do. That is super satisfying to be able to pull that off. That balancing what do I need to do now and what do I need to plan for later. I think that's what I loved about that game. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very good game. Yeah. Like it's ranked overall right now on BGG. It's ranked 57 overall. That's and is this, this is playable on Board Game Arena as well, isn't it? It is. That's it how is we played it the other day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And it's also available on Yukata. It's available on multiple, multiple boards. And th- this version, the, the the original Marco Polo, um, is now classified as out of print. It's not. It's not being printed anymore. That's Seriously? only because. That that's only because. <laughs> yeah, and that's only because they've come out with Marco Polo two, in the service of the con now, and so now they're focusing on printing and reprinting Marco Polo two. Do you remember when uh, Terminator two came out and they just stopped making Terminator DVDs? <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say. I think Ian short circuited a little bit when he was like, "What do you, what do you mean you're not allowing access to the first one? What's up with that?" I saw that looking. I saw that eye yeah. twitch. Well, there there was just there. There's been interviews um, with with um, Luciani and Tassini um, where they've said, "Yeah, we we kind of learned um, after the fact of Marco Polo. Like Marco Polo's got a great fan base. It, it's it's a diehard. It's a great game. Yeah. But then they said, this is what actually we intended. What we probably what we should like 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 the traveling in Marco Polo one." punishing <laughs> extremely expensive to do and what do we really know marco polo for is his ability is his ability his to voyages, travel and, yeah. and his vo- and his voyages and everything like that so that's why marco polo 2 the the travel aspect is much more the forefront of the game play uh, but all the same dna i'm not talking about marco polo this is not a marco polo 2 <laughs> review but that's what they've said and that's why kind of like marco polo 1 is not in print anymore all right so are you guys still uh, got some opinions or are you guys going to do some concluding yeah let's conclude it up um i don't know i think we've said everything <laughs> like it's a tough game but the challenge is why it's fun i think the dice placement works well i think that uh having the different values for your dice and the options that you can go for is is pretty neat. It makes it a little bit extra from regular worker placements. Is that adding that dice aspect to it? And I really like it. <laughs> right. What shelf does it sit on? Uh, high middle. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. No, Marco Polo was one of the very first. Um, Think it was my first um, Luciani game. I absolutely fell in love with it the very first time that I ever played it. Um, it I even classified it like if you look go back to 2015, Ryan probably would have classified this as his like favorite game of all time. I played the heck out of it mm-hmm. um, way back, way way back when. We're talking about like six years ago. <laughs> uh, that's ages ago, man. Oh, yeah. I, and I loved it for those fact that it was it was a tight economy. It was punishing. There was a great puzzle behind it. Um, it proudly sits still on my top shelf, but I also do own Marco Polo 2 now. And I found that we actually play now 
like when we played it on BGA, I was telling Ian, I'm like, wow, I haven't played Marco Polo in quite some time. And I've forgotten how <laughs> punishing and how tight the resources were because it's not as tight in the in, in the in the second one. But uh, it no, I, I would still I really enjoy this one for that fact alone that I have to do that much extra planning for my strategy to actually work out in the in this game. And it's to be noted too, the the dice rolls don't punish you that much too because if you do roll low, you do get some compensation. You can take compensation in the terms of money or camels. We talked about how vers- versatile camels were. And honestly, most of those city cards, if you're built into those cities, you can use your low dice on those actions because sometimes those actions, I mean, you're better if you have bigger dice, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's not worth the big dice anyway. And so you can use your little ones there too. Yeah. Nope, this one still proudly is one of my favorite Euro games um, of all time. They knocked it out of the park. Um, there is room in both in for both this one and Marco Polo 2 in people's collections. They cool. are a similar game, but they do do enough differently that it's, it, it does provide a different experience in, in, in my conjecture opinion. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, that's a, hitting that conjecture moment. That's a perfect segue uh, to wrap this up. Do you guys have any final comments on the on the Marco Polo review, gentlemen? Before we go into our closing, go buy it or go play it on BGA. Go play it on BGA because that's mm-hmm. pretty much where most people are going to be able to play this game nowadays. If and this costs still some... you nothing to do that. Unless it's a premium game. I can't remember if it's a premium game. That's, that, that, that's, that's besides the point. Cool. Well, we're at the end of this episode, so thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Marco. And I'm Polo. <laughs> and we'll catch you later. This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter, at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek, Guild number 3039.